This is the visible hand. My name is Jordi Blanes Vidal. My guest today is Shule Alan, who is a professor of economics at the European University Institute Florence and an adjunct professor of economics at Bilkent University in Turkey. Today we are going to talk about her paper, Improving Workplace Climate in Large Corporations, a clustered randomized intervention joined with Gothde Korek Zioglu and Matthias Schutter. The paper is forthcoming at the Quarterly Journal of Economics. Schule, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting So this is a paper about improving workplace climate, as the title says, and another related concept that you uh, mentioned throughout the paper is the relational atmosphere in the workplace. Could you describe what these two things are and whether they are the same thing? Okay. Um, yes, they are actually referring to the same concepts where we actually try to assess the quality of the relationships in a, in a place that people have to interact constantly and produce something uh, through that interaction. And that's the definition of term. And then, of course, we, we are economists. We have a lot of theories about firms and how the, how the people in firms produce and what productivity is and so on and so forth. This paper actually is, is, is different in that sense. It just looks at how people form relationship with each other within firms so that an environment emerges, a culture emerges from those interactions, and we assess whether they're nice or toxic, or if they're toxic, what we can do about them. What is a toxic relational atmosphere? Toxic relational atmosphere, where you have to be together to, to accomplish a task, like in the firm, or like in academia, we come to our offices and we interact, we have to interact with uh, the other colleagues. And then a toxicity is anything that you can imagine that is not professional, that is not nice, that is just hurtful for a person. So it's a kind of a, a kind of a psychological concept as well. So I interact with you, I have to interact with you, yeah, to, to, to accomplish some tasks. And through that interaction, you are not happy you feel like you're not treated well. I feel like I'm not treated well or, or treated fairly. So this type of interaction, these type of dynamics can actually set in as an equilibrium, as an equilibrium culture in a firm, and that can continuously hurt people. And in the end, uh, it can lead to what we call burnout. Burnout so that you don't want to go to work anymore. You want to leave. You don't like your life in general. So this is what we mean by relational atmosphere and toxicity in the relational atmosphere. So, so you just refer to an equilibrium culture. Of course, another reason why the atmosphere in a workplace might be toxic is that the workplace consists of mostly nasty people. Under this hypothesis, there is really nothing that you can do short of firing everybody and replacing them with nicer people. Your view is that there is some type of a norm or equilibrium that makes them behave in a, a nasty or toxic way, while in a different state of the world, they might have been able to develop a more healthy relation. You do this because you are hypothesizing that it is possible to treat an existing corporation and change their atmosphere through your treatment. Why did you think going into this project that the atmosphere of a company is 
subject to a potential treatment as opposed to depending mostly on the selection of the employees? Uh, to begin with, I was under no illusion that norms set in, social norms, and, and, and how you interact with each other is part of social norms, of course. And I, I was under no illusion that this was an easy matter. Norms are hard to change. We know it's very hard to change gender norms. We know very hard to change uh, corporate norms we, and, and overall norms, right? We, we knew this. The, the reason of my optimism was my previous work. A lot of stuff that we actually thought is economists unchangeable, we managed to change. So that gave me some optimism about a lot of things can in the corporate sector amongst adults can also change, especially if people see the benefits of it. So when we started this project, it started very casually, actually, like many projects of mine. So talking to my friends who didn't take the route of academia, but took the route of uh, corporate life. And then around my age, that most of them are around my age, and I'm not very old <laughs> to begin with. So they were thinking about retiring early, retiring because of burnout. So I got curious, why? Why don't you like... Why don't you like your work? To me, to me, it was ununderstandable because I love my work. I like to go to my office. I like to do my work. And it's just, I can't think about retirement. So for me, it was very interesting concept. So they said, basically, it was just awful to work in this environment. Not the work, not the long hours, none of that. It was mainly how people treat each other. That was it. So as soon as I heard that, I ran a qualitative survey covering a lot of corporations and just to understand if this is a common phenomenon or it's just my friends. So it turned out it was a very common thing. More than long hours, more than hard work, mainly the main reason for burnout was toxic relationships in the large, high-paying, competitive corporations Especially and, and in particular, toxic relationships between leaders and the subordinates, how people felt they were treated by their leaders. And therefore, you decided to do a field experiment. We can go uh, later on into the details of the experiment in terms of the rollout, the choice of treatment and control firms. But before doing that, could you tell us about the actual treatment that you implemented? Specifically, you partnered with a, you know, like a, a consultancy, a consulting firm that already existed. Um, and this consulting firm gave the treatment to certain firms. What did that treatment consist of? So as soon as we found out about this, and I had this, I had this optimism about, I can do something about this because, I mean, it's in everybody's interest to work in a healthy environment where people treat each other well, people treat each other fairly, and, and, and people want to go, go to work on Monday, and Monday is not a dreadful day. So for this, uh, we partnered with uh, a consulting firm that actually did other types of interventions in companies. It was mainly on uh, workplace safety, but their methods mesmerized me. It was their methods that actually drawn them to me, right? So their methods were very unconventional and their methods involved what I call and what I value a lot, the trait called perspective taking. So their idea was if we can give people perspective of the other and if we can really work on this intensively, we can change people's behavior toward each other. For them, 
it was trying to give the perspective of somebody who gets in a workplace accident because he or she didn't take the real precautions. So how the other people, the families feel about this, giving that perspective. So I used that and I said, could you, could you design something for us about relationships, the language, the professional language? So I'm talking to you. I'm your leader. You're my subordinate. Can the leader take the perspective of the subordinate? Can the subordinate actually start trusting the leader? Can these people lower their guards against each other when they are interacting? And then, and then actually see, this is a good thing to do. This is a productive thing to do and then keep going. So basically it was a change, norm changing intervention with a partner that changed norms, or they claim this was never evaluated. They claim that they could change norms about workplace safety. So that's, that it's, uh, that's how it started. So they'd start designing intervention materials and then sharing with us and some of them be, we said, this is great. Some of them actually I ruled out because, you know, the, com- the, the company doesn't know this is also, they know, but this is a scientific project in the end. We have to have a very narrow focus. And my focus, I told them my focus is only the relations, only the professional interactions and pro-social behavior. That's all. You're, you're going to just focus on that. So that was just a lot of back and forth, back and forth for months. Then they created really wonderful, wonderful materials, uh, training materials for the firms. So there were two components, as you describe in the paper. The first one, a series of online workshops. And secondly, a monitored eight-week follow-up. Did this perspective change taking refer mostly like to the uh, online workshops or did it affect also like the the follow-up and if you could describe a little bit what these two things were how they differ from each other and so on no no they were all together so basically first of all when we started this project in 2019 summer with all that qualitative survey we didn't know we were going to hit by a global pandemic so we started and collected baseline and then and the pandemic hit us just before we started the intervention intervention was not supposed to be online intervention was supposed to be in person but then we waited optimistically oh this is going to go away we are going to be in person but it's Uh, Then then we realized this is not going away anytime soon. So the companies came back to us and said, look, you can do this online. We are working online. We are working actually hybrid at that time. They were already working hybrid. So we said, okay, we can readapt everything online. So the online workshop also emphasized perspective taking, professional use of language, and also the importance of pro-social behavior and uh, all the social bonding. And the project part, the intensive project development part, also involved these things. So all the things that you learn in the workshop, you kind of implement in a project. You develop a project and whichever project you develop, the partner actually guides you through it. Some companies did a project on creating new norms and disseminating it in the firm. Some companies actually did a lot of perspective taking exercises. You know, they had a day. Leaders and subordinates change desks and that they did each other's work. So everything, the concepts were always the same, the training concepts and the project concepts. These uh, online workshops, they were around, around five and they took around two hours, as you said, online. And then they were followed, as you said, by uh, this like project that uh, took place over eight weeks. 
as you mentioned, they started in the fall of 2020. They lasted until the spring of uh, 2021. Could you tell us now how you like selected the firms involved, like other details of the field experiment that, that they are important? Okay, when we started this again, and then we did the qualitative interviews, and we said, okay, let's let's just talk to the firms. Like talk to the uh, the firms. When you say talk to the firms, we talk to the HR uh, of uh, firms. So I I wanted big firms. I want big and competitive firms that everybody wants to work in. So they're high paid. They hire the cream of the country, so everywhere. And then these, I can't give the names of the firms, but most of them are in, in, the, the multinationals that you know, right? So they, they were big firms and everybody is in recent graduates and later on, people just want to work in those companies because they are places to work. So how did we approach them? So we wanted several, at least two firms in a given sector, and we wanted them to be close competitors. So we, ch we choose a sector randomly. We said, okay, we know some firms in, in retail sector. Let's go talk to main, main players. So we talked to a main player. We explained the project. And then if they say, okay, that's not enough for us. We have to go to their major competitor. That major competitor has to say yes as well. If they don't say yes, and of course they don't know who, who are in the project. If they don't say yes, we can't take any of them. For example, food sector was like that. We had a major food sector company, but we couldn't recruit their uh, major competitors. So food is not in our sample. But retail is, textile is, construction is, defense is, chemi chemical companies uh, and energy is in there, and, and the finance. So basically, we could go further. For example, automotive major player in automotive se sector was very, very interested in this project. That was very heartbreaking, actually. We couldn't recruit the competitor, so we didn't have the automated. Is this what you mean by clustered? Yes, exactly. Because in the end, we have to control for the sector. Of course, the culture of construction sector is completely different from a defense sector or, or finance. Half the finance sector is women in Turkey. But if you look at the defense sector, it's mainly engineers and you see rarely a woman. So even that aspect is very different. So you have to actually control for the sectoral differences when you look at the culture. So if you had a lot of companies, many more companies that you actually have in your data set, uh, even if you're not controlling for the sector, if you are randomizing on average, other things might be the same. The main advantage of this cluster approach is that by choosing companies that are in the same sector, you are increasing the power of your, yes. of your regression. Yes. Not just in the same sector, very similar in terms of market similar. share. So you, for example, we have banks, right, in finance sector. If you have one big bank, one small bank, niche bank, it doesn't work. It has to be like a, a bank that sees the other one, a major competitor. So they are very similar in terms of market share. So we had to uh, we had to be careful for that because we have only 20 firms. It's a small cluster size. You have to have power. And it is not easy to randomize corporations. We are the first in the world, as far as I'm concerned, ran being able to randomize the corporations. And uh, that's why it was important to do this in a kind of a pairwise way. So we just have to choose them carefully so they could represent each other. So obviously, you just said these companies are very big. 
Presumably, the treatment is not going to apply to everybody in the company. To whom did that type of intervention apply to? And if you could describe also whether there was any attrition uh, and so on. Yeah, sure. So basically, it only took the headquarters. So almost all these companies have different divisions in the city and, and, the, re- and the rest of the country. So, I mean, we, we did not want to deal with that. What we wanted was, okay, we just have to focus on the headquarters. Another reason to focus on the headquarter was to have the, the most educated, high-level white-collar workers are also in the headquarters. So we wanted those really highly competitive professionals. So all the firms, uh, we only focus on the headquarters. And when this intervention was advertised within the company, we helped the company about how to advertise. So this is a scientific project. And this is related to uh, corporate culture, the relational environment, and this is going to be run by the academics and the reputable academics. So basically, we could never force anybody to join, but we widely advertise in the headquarters. There was, there was a caveat. The firm said, look, there are certain departments could not that, that, that by definition could not be part of it in finance. It was the guys who are continuously on the stock market. So they were out. In some places, some departments were too small, like compliance departments, and the firms didn't want. In some engineering heavy department, the, the companies, it was like certain engineers could not leave the place, their places. So, so in that sense, in the headquarters, if you see in the paper, we have about 70% of people covered. Covered meaning they were part of the project. They were surveyed. They played the games and we collect all that information from them. 30%, but this is balanced across treatment and control. So, so. And within that 70%, not everybody was treated though? No. Around 40% were treated of the 70%? Yes. How was treatment decided conditional on participation? Yes. So what, the, what we said, okay, so we have this treatment, everybody in the project, or not in the project, everybody in the headquarters can actually join, okay? But we strongly, strongly, strongly encourage all the leaders to join. So anybody, what is a leader in the company? We, we have a very broad definition of leadership in the company. Anybody who's responsible for multiple people in the company, we call it the leader. So, of course, companies are very hierarchical uh, in nature. So we have a leader and leaders, leader, leaders, leaders, all the way to the CEO. In some multinationals, of course, it also goes to their European or American uh, headquarters. So we strongly encourage. So we we have these participation in terms of leadership. We have very high participation in terms of leadership. We actually encourage them. So mainly leaders because they're influential. The second part, I mean, called them hidden leaders. Who are the hidden leaders? In the baseline, we measure social networks. How do you measure social networks? Very simple. We just go and ask people, and which we did in the baseline, who are the people who help you the most in professional matters? So write down three people. It doesn't have to be in your department, but mainly in your department if you want to, within the headquarters. And then who helps you in personal matters? So from these questions, we can generate an entire network map, help support networks, 
within a company. So from this, you realize when you look at the map, you see some people, even though they don't have the official leader title, they just help everybody. They are hidden leaders. You, everybody goes to them for some reason. So what we said, okay, we have these hidden leaders as well, and we encourage them to come to the training as well. Why? Because they're socially influential people. If we influence them, we influence a lot of people. So we had leaders mainly, and we have uh, hidden leaders, and some subordinates join the training program. And then this is with respect to participation, but what about treatment conditional on participation? Treatment conditional on participation, uh, what do you mean? It's like um, the effect of treatment conditional on participation? I thought that treatment meant that they actually became part of these online workshops and that they actually participated in yes. this uh, project. Yes. Whereas participating just means that they... They said yes. They, they said, said yes, yes yeah. and therefore you took, you know, like a baseline information about them and so on, but they were not affected by the, by the treatment itself. So they're, we can't say they're not affected because it looks like they're affected, but the thing is, it's like, uh, so it's like a kind of a, what we call intent to treat effects. We are going to look at the intent to treat effects. Anybody said, yes, I'm, I want to be part of this, this project, we measure in the baseline and we measure in the end line. We don't discriminate. In fact, we have some admin data including people who, who said, no, I don't want to be part of this, or the companies excluded them. We have data on them as well, admin data. But in terms of survey data and the games we played with them, so we have uh, those people. So basically what you see in the paper as a result is comparing control and treatment in terms of participation, not participation in the training, but whole participation. So it's intent to treat effects. Okay, excellent. So I'm going to now read some bits from uh, a paragraph on the discussion of the outcome variables, because I, I thought when I read it that it's a beautiful way that you have of writing about the possibilities, subtleties, and, and challenges of a, trying to measure work, workplace climate. So you say, the relational atmosphere is a construct. Measuring such a construct requires a comprehensive toolkit to capture as many aspects of the relational atmosphere as possible. We use four measurement tools to describe the relational atmosphere in our study. I think that what you are doing here is saying, see, there is this concept out there. There is no empirical counterpart that is uh, direct, but hopefully if I give you a number of measures that are more or less strongly related uh, from an intuitive perspective to that, to that concept, I can be persuasive. Uh, you may end up believing that I have captured that thing that I am trying to, you know, uh, to, to influence. So obviously all these measures are going to be imperfect. Can you tell us what are these uh, uh, measurement tools? How is it that you in practice measure the atmosphere uh, in terms of the outcome variables of the study? So all the measurement techniques come from trying to understand. You always try to, 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 to understand the construct. So, for example, intelligence is a construct. What do you do? You try to measure it with some tasks. So what we try to do here is like, what is a relational, good relational atmosphere, right? So a good relational atmosphere is where people support each other, where people uh, treat each other. They're more prosocial toward each other and treat and, and a, in an environment where people don't feel burnout. People like, like they do get support from their leaders. And also, it's a place that people want to work in. They don't want to quit, right? So put it all together, we had 
different tools. So if we see the consistency across these tools in terms of treatment effect, they say, okay, we are actually capturing a large part of this construct. So one of the things we look at is, is of course, the actual outcome, turnover. Do you leave? That's it. That's very easy. We have the admin data for it. The second thing we look at is, and that's, you cannot game it, right? So it's not like there is, it is, it is not subject to experimental demand effect. Oh, we got this treatment, so we, we answer this way or that way. So you can't do it. This is an admin, admin fact. The second thing is, and which I do usually in my uh, research, is uh, to generate intensive compatible, incentive compatible uh, uh, tools to measure certain behavior. So I wanted to social certain prosociality behavior. Uh, what we did was we developed tasks that was not used before to kind of get at the, the relational atmosphere. One of them is a toxicity measure. If you remember, uh, we have this toxic competition measure. So we make people compete for some rewards and then we allow people to do something bad to each other to win the competition. So that's what we mean by toxic competition. Competition is good, we are economists, we know it's a good thing, it's a productivity enhancing trait. But if you are stabbing somebody from the back to, to get what you want, that is a toxic behavior. So this is what we, that's also what we use in this paper as a second way of measuring um, the relational atmosphere. This is some experimental outcome in, the, in which you allow people to compete, but then sabotage each other, pay some money or some uh, experimental point Incurs or something. Incur some cost. Incur some cost. To hurt you. To decrease the outcome of the other person. Yes. So, and that, that's something novel in the paper that we came up with. And the other tool was simple social network tools that I was telling you about. So how am I going to know if your leader is, 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 is a good leader? When I say, who's helping you in this corporation, in the professional matters, you have three people to, to write. And if you're not writing your leader as, as a professional support provider, there's a problem here, right? If you're, if you're not, so that tells me something about the climate. She should be the first person to go to for professional matters. So that's another measure that we use, social network, very, very successful measure because it also gives you the segregation in the in the, the, the environment. Are the women and men doing their own things? They're not working together or the cohorts, you know, the generation Z versus uh, older cohorts. So all those things you can generate with the networks. Finally, we use simple uh, survey measures like everybody does that are subject to experimental, uh, experimental demand effects. But if you look at the consistency of all those outcomes, we are pretty certain that we cover the construct, the latent construct, really pretty well, actually, in this, in this project. So focusing specifically on the like a quits or separations outcome variable, what do you find there? Okay, so that was very interesting because that was part of it was context driven. In the time we started and then measured the end line, the first end line, there was a nationwide ban on firing. Right? because of the lockdown, because of the, the, the pandemic. So the Turkish government imposed, you cannot fire anybody. So it was a time, of course, also the people, it was hard for people to leave their jobs and find other things as well. So it was a completely different context because if, if you look at our 20 firms in 2019 before the pandemic, overall turnover 
is about 15%. Very high in finance, very low in construction. So there are significant sectoral differences, very well-known differences, but 15% regardless overall. Annual. Annually, yes. So we come to eight months after, like eight months of intervention, we look at the, the quit rates, it's about 5%. This is between November 2020 and June 2021. At the end of June. So uh, it's very low already, but it is low in the control group too. If, if you look at the control group, it's only 5 percentage point, And we see incredible decline in the treatment group. We see much lower quit rate, especially for the leaders at the end of the, the, the eight months. This is uh, two percentage points lower. Yes, much like it's a big, big, big decline. I mean, it's a big effect. If you have the base five percentage point, two percentage point is a huge effect, actually. So and, and it's coming mainly from the leadership positions. So, I mean, two divided by five is a 40 percent, right? Yeah. So that's that's that sounds like a massive effect. Yeah. It sounds even more massive, given that only 40% of the participating employees actually receive the treatment. Do you want to think of this as actually on the, I know that you are doing intent to treat, but given that only 40% um, of the employees in your study were actually part of these workshops and so on and so forth, will the analogy be perhaps somewhat closer to a 100% decrease? 100 would be too, too much. But the thing is, don't forget, though, the participants are influential people. It's not like random 40%. So it's not really the, it's not really the intent. Like if you, if you try to estimate the local average treatment effects here, I would be misleading because remember, who did we really get? We got the leaders who have the authority or who have the power to change the dynamics And we have the hidden leaders who have the power to change the dynamics. They were not like ordinary people. So in that sense, the who got this treatment was important. They were the influential people. They were the norm changers. If anybody can change norms in the firm, those were the people. So we actually targeted them that way. So in that sense, I wouldn't like directly multiply it with uh, just regular uh, multiplier here because they are different people. But they are massive effects, massive effects. And also, if you remember, when we go back in December and uh, got new data after the ban was lifted, effective, you see more turnover then because the ban was lifted. But again, the effects are still there. People still uh, have a lower tendency in treatment companies to quit. And we see very little firing anyways. Let me go back to the companies and say, why there is so little firing? Is that these are really highly educated people. We don't fire them, actually. They usually get another job, right? So, and that makes all sense. I mean, leaving the like a post-ban uh, lifted uh, period for later, I, I had a question about the timing in which you measure these separations um, in, in your main tables as compared to the timing in which the treatment uh, took place. So just, a, yeah, just to remind, the treatment takes place in the uh, fall of 2020 and the spring of 2021. Uh, the separations that you told us just now uh, are lower in the treatment group than in the control group are measured between November 2020 and June 2021. 
this seems exactly or almost exactly the implementation period. Exactly. Which means that uh, part of the left-hand side variable corresponds to a period in which the treatment group and the control group must have been identical because the treatment group hadn't yet had the online workshops, maybe they hadn't started the eight-week follow-up project. Wouldn't it have made more sense to start counting the separations from the moment that the treatment ends for the treatment group? No, we could do that, but we decided just to hurt ourselves. Uh, let's hurt ourselves and, 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 and see what we see. So for yeah, you're right, some companies had the treatment and some companies were overlapping with them and then some companies were overlapping with them because we had only one partner. They could do four, maybe three, four companies at the same time at different levels, but you know, some companies had to wait. And so what we said, okay, we could just look at them and take it right after. We could do that and I think we tried that. I the results did not look very different, I don't think. In the end, we said, okay, let's let's have the entire quit rates from November onwards. So I was asking because typically the left-hand side variable as being measured just before the treatment is often used as part of like a placebo test, right? Like right before they were looking exactly the same and it is only afterwards that they start diverge. I mean, I understand that, of course, you are doing a field experiment and everything, so... The presumption here is a bit different one that if you were using natural variation, but typically one wants to use the pre-data as a placebo test. So we do have a pre-data for placebo test. So we have a pre-trend, you know, we don't have a trend. We have the coincident trend. So we have, we went back to the companies because the editor wanted us to do. We went back and we got like a 2018 monthly data of turnover and then we show this like these guys are exactly the same all over right uh, but we had an entire company so we could do like month by month quit rates within the intervention time uh, but we just wanted to be like you know just look at how many people left the company just simply in eight months how many people left the company in the control and in the treatment this will tell you lots of things because we know these guys uh, are basically, as you say, same before the trip, exactly the same. That's the idea of the randomization. So it, it finds, you could look at it in different ways, but this one was very quick, very kind of a rough way of looking at it, and that was enough. So the other, the other question that I have that relates to timing uh, has to do with a, a very useful figure that you have in the paper that you call the theory of change. So you have a, you know, this is obviously like a theory, not that you write a formal model, but it's still a theory. There is there a box called treatment, and then there is uh, an arrow that comes from that box uh, to another box that, that says improve leadership quality. Because as you said at the beginning, you are targeting the leader subordinate relations, you know, so the leader, not only, but the leaders are mostly the ones that are the, the target of this treatment, so their quality improves. Then from that box, there is another arrow that leads to another box called workplace climate. And then from workplace pl- climate, the arrows that go to separations, uh, pro and antisocial behavior, and so on and so forth. So the way that I think about this then is, okay, so the leader must have gone to the online workshops uh, in the fall of 2020, and then they did the, the project in the spring of 2021. As a result of this, then the leader changes her perspective on life, you know, realizes that, oh, I'm, I'm being like really terrible person. I have to start treating my subordinates with respect. Then the subordinates start taking cues from the leader. They realize that the workplace workplace norms have changed. 
They start treating each other with respect. Then everybody else feels happier. My question is, how soon do you think that these things happen? Because you are measuring this uh, turnover almost immediately and the responses to the like uh, experiment experiments that uh, you run on them to the survey questions they are measured almost immediately in the in the summer of 2021 is your hypothesis that the culture is not only susceptible to treatment that can also change so fast that you can pick it up in the worker's behavior within a couple of months i don't i don't argue that we changed the culture so it is very hard to know without long-term behavior, long-term outcomes of these companies. And it is very hard for us because in the end, this was a phase in design. We didn't measure, we didn't say it at the beginning in this talk, but it had to be a phase in design to convince these guys to get into this project. We had to promise the treatment to everybody. So in the end, we did not have a chance to look at the long-term. But don't forget, we actually conjecture the mechanisms, mechanism to be improved leader-subordinate relationship. This could be, as you say, you know, the, 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 the leader is, is now nicer, but there's another mechanism here, especially considering when we measured this. Another mechanism is we know that the, the subordinate reports of workplace climate is better in places that leaders actually did go to the online workshops and did the projects. So another mechanism is signaling. So you work in a place and you're really generally not happy about relationships, but you see your leader is trying. Your leader is trying to do something for the relationships. Cultures are hard to change. Norms are hard to change, but signaling can happen. So I am not a very good leader, but I'm trying. So what do you do as a uh, subordinate? You're happy about that. You're happy about this. So if you ask me what the real mechanism is, and I don't know really because we just check a few things, I think this is a very significant mechanism. How do you make it norm? I think you have to be really consistent in your interventions, right? Very consistent. This is, this is a very interesting thing that you say about the mechanism, and I want to talk about it. But before, I don't want to forget uh, if you could tell us the outcomes on the other variables, uh, the sabotage, the pro and antisocial <laughs> behavior, the effects on the department network structure, and so on. I'm not going to give you the numbers. I can't forget. No, no. I can't remember the numbers. But the thing is, we we find first of all in the like look at the sabotage behavior because we we have no way of comparing with the world. There's no such work to compare. I was surprised to see half of the sabotage endowment was spent. So people generally sabotage each other. So that's for sure. That was surprising for me. And one of the results was uh, the, the treated companies sabotage less. So this was one good result. Then we look at the trust game. We see no difference in the trust game, trust result, but the reciprocity was high in the treatment companies. What does this mean? I still don't trust you that much, but as, as soon as I see some goodwill from you, I will reciprocate. And that is consistent with the mechanism I was just saying. I don't see you change as a person that easily, but I see you trying, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. So we, this is what we find in the games, some good consistent results in the prosocial behavior. In the networks, what was really, really shocking to me and the companies as well, 
Something like 15% of the people say, I do not get any support from anyone in this company when I need a professional help. That was shocking to me. In fact, when we showed this to CEOs, they were shell-shocked. How? How my workers cannot get work-related help from their colleagues, from their leaders? That was true. That came out, right? And the treated companies were much less. I think, I can't remember the the, the, the treatment effect on this, but it was kind of substantial as well. We, we lowered this number quite a bit. So, so talking about the mechanism, I, I think that the, the way that you were uh, describing the different possibilities make a lot of sense to me. Let me give you the following possibility and, and, and see whether in your view this will be consistent uh, with your results or unlikely with the results and so on. So I am also part of an organization you know, the London School of Economics and with the need, my department, and I have uh, some colleagues that I like and other colleagues that I like less. And then one possibility is that I receive uh, this treatment and uh, the treatment changes um, my perception about my colleagues or even about my boss without necessarily changing the actual workplace climate. For instance, my boss may be very nasty to me, but right after we have bonded through this common exercise, I might for a short period be willing to, as you said, give him the benefit of the doubt. In answering questions to a survey, maybe I defer a little bit, you know, my career decisions and so on. However, maybe the underlying behavior of my boss has actually not changed. I'm just giving, um, giving her the benefit of the doubt for a while. And then the workplace climate may not have changed. And then sooner or later, I'm going to realize that I must confront the reality that my boss is the same piece of work that uh, he has always been. And then, you know, like uh, these effects are like relatively, relatively short term. Would that be something that is uh, consistent with potential interpretation of the results? Yeah, it could be. That's what I was saying, that I cannot, I cannot claim that we change the culture. Culture is, is like this, this very thick construct. So it's not easy to change. Norms are not easy to change. But that doesn't mean they're fixed. They can change. So what we show in this paper is not, oh, here's an intervention and you can change the culture. No, no, we are not under the illusion of that. What we say is, here's an intervention that has a hope to actually change people's behavior if you go on and on and on about it and if you're serious about it. Because it gives the subordinates the signal that company cares about these things. Company cares about making the place a better place. And that matters. I believe that matters. If there's, a, if there's a leadership that continues to say, we care about your well-being, we care about how you're treated, that it has an effect. It must have an effect. This is how I take our results, not as a culture change, but a possibility that the norms can slowly change if people actually put a little bit of effort and show that effort, especially at the leadership level. So in terms of policy prescriptions, would an natural conclusion be that uh, at least to start uh, chipping away at the toxicity of certain environments, many more companies should hire the type of uh, consultants that were your implementing partners because they seem to be at least somewhat effective? I think so. I think, uh, I think they, actually our companies now just, <laughs> they just want academics to, to work with them because they also say, you know, this was the most substantial uh, relation kind of training they have ever taken because people come, the big companies, big consulting companies come with their fancy ways of uh, doing stuff. It's a lot of fancy stuff, but not much content. 
So the companies love the, the intervention, how focused it was, how repetitive it was, and then in the end, there was measurement. So in the end, um, I, uh, I, as, a, as a policy, corporate policy recommendation, my first recommendation would be to work with academia and people like me. And uh, lots of people are actually working on developing soft skills in the companies and everything. So there's a, there's a, there's a gap between academia and the corporations themselves. So I think if we, if we work together, we can help them, they can help us. So that's the corporate policy recommendation that I have. We have so much to learn how to change the, in terms of how to change the toxic norms. One of the things we are starting now is the toxic, toxic norms about gender, how women are treated in the big corporations, right? So we are starting work in that, in that regard now. Thank you, Shule, for coming to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to any other papers that we may have discussed. Introductory music and logo by Aitana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan. <laughs>